0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the r We are three detective with North mythology-based last names with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I play Christmas carols on a trumpet.
1: I'm Keith Baker, and this ain't right. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I actually also store all my snakes in bloody clothing in locked boxes.
0: On today's show, we'll be discussing one of my favorite movies, Prisoners. But before we get to that, Matt, why don't you tell us about our newest bonus series, How Was Loki This Week? It was
1: good. It was our follow-up episode, episode number two, and we had a good time breaking it down. Um, Austin wasn't as high on the first episode as I was, and it sounds like this time I was a little bit lower, and he was the one that was a bit higher on it. We were without our buddy Keith this time, but Keith will be back this coming week to talk about Loki, so it's all good. Those episodes come out every Wednesday, which means our review can be found on our podcast feed every Friday.
0: And if you're confused, we're, of course, talking about Loki the bonus series, not Detective Loki oh. in the movie Prisoners.
1: Yes. Very good to bring up.
0: Um, awesome. And yeah, be sure to check those out. And with that, let's get into our main topic for today. We are continuing our ongoing series covering some of our favorite movies. In this series, we each take a turn selecting one of our favorite films, revisit it, and then discuss why we love it so much. This week, it was my turn, and I selected Prisoners. Prisoners was released in 2013. It follows the story of two families in the wake of their daughter's kidnappings. As the investigation ensues, the fathers take matters into their own hands and a larger conspiracy is revealed. So why is this one of my favorite movies? Well, I think I come for the mystery and I stay for the performances. Prisoners is a movie that's very aware of the typical crime thriller tropes and turns them on its heads. Every time you think you've figured out the mystery, there's something new thrown at you to cause doubts about what you believe. It's impossible to predict, and it's one of those films where I just notice new things every time I come back to it. It also has standout performances from two of my favorite actors, Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. It's incredibly well shot and very atmospheric. It's also very hard to watch and raises some interesting moral questions throughout. So, boys, Keith, I'm going to go to you first here. I know this was your first time viewing Prisoners. What did you think of your first watch, Keith?
2: Wow. Yeah, man. I watched this last night. Going into the first time, I really didn't know what to expect. All I knew from this movie was that it was about two girls getting kidnapped and that's a and that Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal were in it. That's all I knew. Man, this movie kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. It was a great thriller. It's a pretty disturbing movie <laughs> throughout. Uh, I felt really uncomfortable throughout it cuz just all, you know, cuz you just know all the sick shit that's going on behind the scenes. Highly disturbing but man, great acting, great cinematography. It was, that's all I can say without really spoiling anything. So yeah, I really liked it. It's high up there for me.
1: Nice. Yeah. So this is my third time seeing this movie, I think. I definitely saw it in theaters and I was a big fan. I really loved this movie. And going into it this time, obviously it's been several years since I've seen it and I still really like it for sure. I really enjoyed watching it. I think the acting is just phenomenal all across the board. Even at the beginning when it's like the characters are being introduced and it's like, how are these performances going to be kind of engaging? Because they seem so normal. And then it definitely builds to that point. It's like, oh, okay, I see what everybody was talking about. And the mystery itself, I totally agree. It's really pretty compelling. And I love by the end how somehow all of these seemingly random things kind of come together in ways that I would say for the most part make sense. And I think that's more than you can say about most movies. It it always feels like there's just random red herrings thrown in there. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. But this one, in a weird way, uses those types of reveals and secrets and just seemingly information that it's like, I guess that doesn't matter. And then sometimes it's like, oh, this definitely matters. Like, all of that comes together. And it's like, wow, I can't believe they nailed it like they did. My only other thing I would say, based on my rewatch perspective, is it's... I have two criticisms. One is, and they they kind of tie together in a weird way. One is, I think the movie's too long. It's like two and a half hours. And the main reason it bugged me this time is the main thing I would disagree that has been said is on this rewatch, for whatever reason, I don't think there was much interesting stuff when it came to the moral questions that you brought up. For me, I was like, characters seemed a bit more I don't want to say dumb, but there was actions made by characters that I was just like, I just don't get it. It just doesn't like pass the smell test, if you want to say, for a lot of other actions. And that's what happens in movies and TV. Like, there's no doubt about that. But this time I was like, I just don't see why they're doing it. And when we get to spoilers, I'll say what I'm meaning specifically, but there's one pretty huge storyline that by the end is like, oh, it kind of paid off, but not in the way you would think, and it kind of leaves that rest of that storm that happened before, it's like, oh, that character, just weird. So anyway, that's the only thing on a rewatch that I didn't like, is that I thought kind of the questions you're supposed to ask didn't seem as interesting. And because there was so much of it, I thought it contributed to a little bit of a bloated movie for me. So just long. But again, that's me nitpicking. I really loved watching it again.
0: I think for the most part, I agree with you guys. Keith, I'm really glad you liked it since this was your first time. I think the only other thing I'll say here is that this movie is certainly like a reason you go to the movie theaters, like seeing this movie in the theaters at the time was an incredible experience. It was so silent throughout because everybody was on the edge of their seats in my theater, at least. Um, Matt, I I think the only thing I'll disagree with you on is for a thriller movie, it takes a lot of time to develop its characters. And so I think because we kind of get to know where they all come from. I think the moral questions get really interesting around Hugh Jackman's character. I'm not so, so much so around like Terrence Howard or Viola Davis's characters. So. I do agree Mm -hmm. with you when it comes to Terrence Howard and Viola Davis, but I think the moral questions around Hugh Jackman still stay pretty interesting by the end of the film.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about it more in spoilers.
0: Uh, Okay, so with that, everybody, we're going to roll some segue music, and when we come on back, it'll be time for the movie facts of Prisoners. All right, Matt, can you run down the cast and crew for Prisoners?
1: Yes, so Prisoners was, of course, directed by the great Denis Villeneuve, who you probably know from directing a pretty incredible just line of movies here. I mean, whether it's his like first outings um, or his English-language movies, I mean, you have Polytechnique, you have Incendies, you have Enemy, Sicario, Arrival, Blade Runner 2049, of course, Prisoners, and the upcoming Dune. I mean... Wow, pretty, pretty uh, impressive lineup there.
0: And Prisoners was actually his Hollywood debut too.
1: Yes, definitely worth noting. This was his first English language movie. And then also worth noting that immediately within the span of five years, did Enemy Sicario Arrival and Blade Runner like all hits? How is that possible? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's insane. Yeah on the on the opposite end of the uh, equation here, we have somebody that's very un impressive and i'm not saying in the context of this movie but in terms of their credits because i could find almost nothing the writer of this movie's name is aaron guzikowski um on the plus side i haven't seen it but i hear raised by wolves pretty interesting so good on him so good he also wrote the mark Wahlberg hit contraband (laughs) That's pretty much all he's done. Um, The score was composed by the late, great Johan Johansson, who did The Theory of Everything, Mother, The Handmaid's Tale, Mandy, and he also did uh, Denis Villeneuve's other films, Sicario and Arrival. The cinematography was, of course, done by the legendary Roger Deakins, who modern audiences would probably know for doing things like Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, and 1917, just to name a few. When it comes to the cast, we've already talked about him a little bit, but we have Hugh Jackman as Keller Dover, which can we talk about? It sounds like they cast him to play an Australian character based on that name. <laughs> I'm, and He's like, I'm Keller Dover. Like, no, I'm Keller Dover is what you meant to say. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Detective Loki, Viola Davis is Nancy Birch, Maria Bellows, Grace Dover, Terrence Howard as Franklin Birch, and then of course you have The Amazing Melissa Leo as Holly Jones, and Paul Dano as Alex Jones. So guys, big cast here, pretty much all, I would say, I mean, these are all big names, so they got a great cast, Um, but what what were the highlights, positive or negative?
0: Yeah, I have two. Um, my standout and and the thing that keeps me coming back to this movie is actually Jake Gyllenhaal. I just think that the way they've built that character and his design is so interesting. You don't get a lot of his backstory, but just the actual character design just lends to him having such an interesting dynamic as this detective. And, And I do love Hugh Jackman in the role, but I get much more out of Jake Gyllenhaal's performance on a rewatch every time I see this movie. And then also the cinematography by Roger Deakins. I think it just does such an incredible job of setting the atmosphere in this film. It's very rainy. It's very gloomy. um, And just the way they kind of set up shots in this movie, I think, just really add to the storytelling.
2: Yeah, I'll second you there with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, he was incredible in this movie. Not too much to add there. Uh, Another one I'll say is Paul Dano. I haven't really seen him in anything else, Uh, I don't think. Yeah, he was awesome in this movie. And he only has like, what, like two or three lines? So it's pretty cool that he can... Do that well of acting with just, you know, being beat up and just having this really creepy but also very innocent vibe about him the entire time. Um, and then another one I'll say is Hugh Jackman. I think it's just, he just plays a believable dad who's just trying to do whatever it takes to get his daughter back. So, yeah, I think, but everybody I think overall was pretty, pretty, pretty well rounded in this movie.
1: Absolutely. I think I would second everything you guys have said. I agree with Austin. I think my favorite performance is Jake Gyllenhaal's, and my other favorite thing about the movie is Roger Deakins' cinematography, so I'm right in lockstep with you there. Uh, just to switch it up, I guess, and just shout out some other people. Um, we already talked about them a little bit, and I agree that the characters are kind of weirdly, they seem really huge, and then are kind of left behind in the second half, and that's Terrence Howard and Viola Davis, and even Maria Bello as basically the, Other family and then the spouse character. Um, I thought they were all fantastic. I just wish we could have gotten a little bit more to those characters or just a little bit more time spent. But and even Melissa Leo, I mean, everybody did their jobs, whether it's the cast or the crew. I mean, the direction, fantastic. Uh, Just it's a really impressive movie all
0: around. For sure. For sure. Um, Only thing I would ask, though, can you guys imagine Don Cheadle as Franklin Birch? I mean... I would love to see him in this role. I'm not, I'm not even making a joke. I, w- I wonder what this movie would look like with Don Cheadle.
1: We got to have Terrence Howard occasionally, guys. <laughs> I mean, we need to we need to see him on the big screen every once in a while. And you know what? He, he did a good job. He had that trumpet. He had those glasses that he would put on and take off constantly. Um, I mean, th- what more can we ask?
2: No, what would have been better for Terrence Howard is
1: if Don Cheadle was cast in this role originally and then replaced by Terrence Howard. That's got to be his goal. That's got to be Terrence Howard's goal for eventually, that he wants that to happen.
0: Or if, if we want to put Terrence Howard in an interesting uh, plot scenario, what if Don Cheadle was cast as Terrence Howard's son who gets kidnapped, and Terrence Howard has to pretend to care about him? <laughs> his his two-year-old. Yeah, his son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe <laughs> brothers might work. <laughs> his son that's funny that way they should do that honestly like they just like pretend it's a wet hot american summer like they're the same age but they're father and son
0: okay enough of that cast talk keith i'd love to hear what you found for some fun facts or maybe production nightmares for prisoners
2: so starting off uh ryan gosling auditioned for the role
1: of detective loki no oh wait hold on sorry Go ahead. That actually would be good. I was thinking Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I was like, no, that'd be terrible. Okay, never mind. Sorry, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to my boy Ryan Gosling. He could have done a good job. Okay, Keith, please continue.
2: Supposedly Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Gosling are, I guess, Hollywood rivals in the in the fact that they're always auditioning for the same roles.
0: They're pretty similar, like the way they go about their acting and their characters. So I could see them competing for a lot of roles.
2: Yeah, I wonder if they're actually friends in real life or not. I don't know. Anyway, um. Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale were set to star in the lead roles with uh, Brian Singer directing, but the two actors had to make the fighter instead.
0: I would like to see what Christian Bale looks like in this movie, but uh, Mark Wahlberg in this movie is a big no, thank you for me.
1: Where's my daughter? Wait, you said there's Narvi? Where? (laughs) I think we just found a transformer.
0: (laughs) Yeah, where would they have? This would have to have been set in Boston if they cast him. <laughs> yeah, they would just. He can't have shake to change that the script. He can't do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so this one kind of goes to what we're going to talk to and dive deep into later. So we don't have to comment too much on this one unless you guys feel like it. But originally, Keller Dover was never discovered by the police at the end. He would have remained a missing person and died. So I thought this fact was kind of weird because I don't think it was really confirmed that he was rescued. It just kind of, you just kind of assume it. So
1: that one was kind of interesting to me. That's one of those things where, like, confirming that he died. I don't really know how that ties in to the themes of the movie, if that makes sense. Like, I guess maybe it's like, oh, his penance, even though he saved his daughter, so to speak, is, I mean, the penance for what he did, the choices he make is death. I guess there's some symbolism there, but I think leaving it ambiguous is probably the right choice because then you don't have to worry about that too much.
0: Well, I was also reading, too, that um, according to Aaron Guzikowski the movie that they made was three hours long instead of two and a half hours. And yep. so I wonder what that version looks like. Like, I wonder if, if there's more to um, the actual epilogue of this film. Maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe. Not sure.
2: Denis Villeneuve uh, wanted prisoners to look pretty realistic. So he and uh, cinematographer, Roger Deakins uh, committed themselves to using as much natural light as possible. So if it was raining in a scene, uh, Villeneuve wanted the audience to feel that rain. So Villeneuve and Deakins also decided to use like slow camera movements to just kind of uh, bring up the tension in each scene.
0: Yeah, I love the way they hold the camera on certain shots, and, and you're just kind of forced to stay in scenes, I feel like, longer. The way they use the shots in this movie, you're just stuck kind of sitting with these characters.
2: At one point during the development process, Lee Daniels was interested in directing the movie. He signed on, and he was going to cast Oprah Winfrey to play Holly Jones. Oh,
1: that would have been that would have been shocking I feel like we probably would have not have suspected Oprah as much as we did Melissa Leo to be fair
0: I wonder how far down the path they got with Oprah like did she drop out or did they go in a different direction
2: well uh, yeah to answer that question Austin so uh, Lee Daniels ended up directing The Butler which he ended up casting Oprah Winfrey
0: so Lee Daniels is just a big Oprah fan I guess Yeah,
2: I did watch an interview with Paul Dano He was kind of talking about the title of the film, and I guess everybody can kind of make up their own theory of why it's called Prisoners. But, um, yeah, so he said the title doesn't just apply to the two missing girls. It applies to every character. The parents are prisoners to their devastation of losing their daughters and trying to find them. Alex Jones is obviously a prisoner of his fake aunt. Detective Loki is imprisoned by his past, his demons, and he's also imprisoned by his reputation of, you know, having solved every case he's ever had. Everybody and every character is in some sort of imprisonment
0: that's one of my favorite things about this movie is just how kind of everything impacts everything uh even minor things like you kind of touched on matt everything in this movie really is connected and, and even smaller things like just this these two families being friends just just by that relationship they're kind of stuck in this ordeal together like just every single character impacts all the other characters in this film
2: All right, yeah, that's it for me for the fun facts. Austin, why don't you tell everybody what people thought about this movie and what the critical reception was?
0: Uh, Okay, so Prisoners released to theaters on September 20th, 2013. It would make $122 million worldwide against a $46 million budget. Um, Upon its release, the film received majority positive reviews, and it currently has an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. So rogerebert.com was actually pretty low on the film, with the website giving it two and a half stars. They felt the only redeeming qualities of the movie were Jake Gyllenhaal's performance and a few suspenseful chase scenes. Uh, they stated, quote, Aspects of prisoners are effective, but for the most part, it's rather ridiculous, despite the fact that it clearly wants to be taken super seriously, and there's an overwrought quality to much of the acting. Uh, they went on to say that the film was overbloated and full of self-important themes and characters. Um, they thought Hugh Jackman and his screaming became monotonous, and overall the movie's suspects, lairs, and vast conspiracies wear out their welcome.
1: You know, it's funny. I actually agree with most of that. I just, I guess, didn't hold it as much against the whole package as they did, if that makes sense. I mean, Hugh Jackman is crying and screaming in every single scene, (laughs) even scenes where it's like, why? (laughs) I mean, um, and the movie, like like I mentioned at the top, it is kind of ridiculous. But the thing is, thrillers and mysteries like this often are in how they get from, a to b like how they get from the beginning to the end i mean there's things in here when you think back it's like that's weird like how did they come up with a way to tie in snakes to this <laughs> like there's some really dumb stuff in here but not in a bad way it's kind of cool so i actually don't disagree with much of that i just liked the movie anyway
0: <laughs> i kind of i get what they're coming from with um just the ridiculous themes and the self-importantness of the way this movie is portraying everything. I just For me, it all just works. I, I yeah. can see why it doesn't work for Roger Ebert. But for me, all of these elements just really raise the tension in this movie. And, and that's what I appreciate is that this movie puts you on edge from the opening scene and doesn't really let up until the credits roll. And mm-hmm. I, I just think that makes it a really effective thriller. Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah, I don't think it's... They used the word overbloated. I think it's kind of kind of a strong word there. I think the story's, story's pretty simple. I mean, two girls go missing and there's their families and everybody's looking for them. It did show that in a pretty realistic way. But yeah, there is some stuff um, that you mentioned, Matthew, that, it, that yeah, it does, that does kind of come off r- ridiculous. But yeah, I think overall, it, yeah, it worked for me as well. And yeah, it kept me in suspense the entire time.
0: So Variety was actually extremely high on the film, uh, stating, quote, This tale of two Pennsylvania families searching for their kidnapped daughters sustains an almost unbearable tension for two and a half hours of screen time satisfying as both a high-end genre exercise and a searing adult genre of the sort Hollywood almost never makes anymore. It immediately enters the ring as an awards-seasoned heavyweight. They went on to praise Villanova's uh, direction, calling the movie the most ambitious and best of his career. They loved the atmosphere of the movie and the willingness to spend time developing the characters. They also praised the editing and cinematography by Roger Deakin, Joel Cox, and Gary Roach. Uh, lastly, Jackman was specifically praised for a career-best performance with the website saying he nailed a solid, rugged Americanist who sees himself as his family's protector.
1: Yeah, I like that review too. I mean, it's just so suspenseful, and they do maintain it for a really long running time. So it's just impressive. We've, I've already used that word about it, but that's just how I feel hearing that review. Yeah.
0: And lastly here, The Hollywood Reporter also gave a pretty positive review. Uh, they once again praised the directing, cinematography, and editing. They also specifically mentioned the long runtime as a positive, and they stated not a frame was wasted. Jackman received the main shout out, stating the performance was a career best. Uh, And they did have one critique, stating Terrence Howard and Viola Davis were not given enough to do as the movie went on, and they ended their review with, quote, as the plot twists multiply and the tension mounts, the film reaches a climax that is satisfying without being predictable. Prisoners can at times be hard to watch, but thanks to all the talent involved, it's even harder to shake off.
2: I thought... Terrence Howard and Viola Davis played their parts pretty well. It fit in the story because they were the parents that, you know, because Hugh Jackman's character was the, like the, the guy who was just going to go against the law and do whatever it takes. But then Terrence Howard and Viola Davis had more trust in the fact that the, that the detectives were going to do their jobs. And I think they just played a different sort of parents. I think if it happened in, in real life, there would be two sets of parents and one set of parents would probably be the more aggressive ones. And then one set of parents would probably be the more trusting ones of the people who are chasing or who are looking for their kids. So I thought it was pretty realistic.
0: Yeah, that's a good take, Keith. I don't think they were critiquing the performances. I I think they were just critiquing that the screenplay didn't support these actors. Like by the end of the movie, they really are kind of lost and and it does just kind of become the Hugh Jackman show.
1: That's the part I agree with. I think these characters seem like they're going to be equally important throughout like the entire first half. And then the second half, it's like they're gone in favor of Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think symbolically it kind of works because they get their daughter back kind of just on a whim. So it's almost like these characters, despite having done some bad things to the Alex Jones character, the fact that they're not letting it, I guess, consume them completely. It's almost like the screenplay rewards them despite the fact that they're not around as much. And then basically once they get their daughter back, they're kind of, that's the end of their story. I get what they're saying. Um, Again, I would have liked to have seen more of them, but I think the performances were solid, so no issues with them.
0: All right. So, guys, let's go ahead now and let's get in to the bulk of our show. Let's do the roundtable discussion.
1: Yeah, so I'll start us off here. I kind of just in general feel like with thrillers, regardless of how well they tell the story or what the subject matter is, the mystery element has to be equally parts interesting, engaging enough to want to watch all the way through to the end, and satisfying once we see the conclusion. And I feel like all great thrillers meet these to a very high level. And I just wanted to see specifically where Prisoners kind of lands on this scale for you guys. We've talked a lot about... How the suspense is great. We were really intrigued by the mystery and all that good stuff. And the conclusions, it seems like we thought it was pretty satisfying. But what specifically, I and mean, you can use scenes, you can just use examples or just talk about the movie in general, but what is it about how these three elements come together that make prisoners enjoyable for you?
0: Yeah, I think it's the way they kind of unveil the plot. Like, I, I like how it kind of goes in stages. Uh, we, we start off with our main suspect being Alex, and then he gets released. Uh, and, and normally that would kind of be the red herring where the first suspect seems really good for it, but then for whatever reason, he, he can't be the suspect anymore and we have to move on. But then they, they find a way to bring him back into the fold and he still stays a focal point. Right when you start to feel like the investigation is starting to lag, that's when the mazes come in and the snake scene comes in and we uncover kind of a larger plot and, and they drop the bit about the invisible man. Um, so I, I just really like how the movie always feels like it's going one direction and then something new happens to kind of cause you to reevaluate the way you're looking at the mystery before you.
2: Man, I mean, when I was watching like Paul Dano getting captured in the RV, I thought that was that was it. Like somehow he was going to be the main suspect, but he he hid these girls somewhere and they were going to have to try to like figure because he wasn't talking. They're going to have to try to figure out from him uh, where they were, which is, you know, obviously in the movie, that's what they're trying to do to get from him the entire movie. But uh, I thought that was going to be it. I didn't know it was going to be this entire other background story behind his character as far as his aunt or the other kidnapped kid and his, and his weird stepdad and all that. I had no idea that was going to come into play, and I thought that was so cool how they introduced that. But like you said, Austin, yeah, they just keep building intensity throughout, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger while they're also you know, redirecting you at the same time in all these different directions.
0: And to just add on to that, too, Keith, um, I, I also like, too, how you mentioned with Paul Dano's character being captured. I feel like in a lot of other thrillers, the bulk of the movie would be spent trying to track down this RV, and then maybe you find the RV in the third act. And yeah. I like how the second the cops get involved and the investigation starts, like, the next scene is them finding this RV immediately. That was super unexpected for me the first time I watched it. Yeah. And, and something I really noticed on this rewatch, how and in other investigation movies, that would be the movie, is just searching for this RV. And and they kind of get that trope out of the way really quickly.
1: Yeah, I think kind of talking about how these things come together, I think it's also just a great term to use now that I'm thinking about it for this movie's A and B plots. And you guys have already talked about it a little bit, but the fact that there kind of are no real red herrings in this movie, like when you're watching it actively, it seems like almost everything is. It's like, Okay, I understand why Detective Loki would want to like look at the pedophile list and go knock on doors because two young girls got kidnapped. Like, okay, that 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 makes sense. But then when it, like he meets this priest, it's like, "Where is this going?" And then he finds a corpse in the basement. It's like huh, okay, I guess the priest is a bad guy. And then it's like, why did that matter? Like, like 30 minutes later, you're like, what was the point of that? And then same thing keeps happening. Like, Whenever you meet the David, the character, the guy that was in The Dark Knight that uh, like puts the little teddy bear at the wake, it's, or, or the uh, memorial, whatever you want to call it, it was like, what? And then like, whenever like, you find out oh, he has snakes and bloody clothes, it's like, I, why is this in here? Like, this movie's two and a half hours. <laughs> like, what are they doing? Um, but then you get to the end and the fact that our main villain, the Holly Jones character played by Oprah Winfrey, um, <laughs> <could have> been. <laughs> uh, the fact that every single element of the movie and Detective Loki's investigation comes into play, even Alex, who was not, I guess you would say a willing participant because of Alex's intellectual level that they talk about. He didn't know what was going on. He just thought, oh, there's visitors. And like apparently the kids liked him. That was the extent of his involvement. Um, it's like, oh, the corpse in the basement was the husband that after he and Holly Jones, after their son died, they had this really weird like, oh, we got to confront God by kidnapping other children. And it's like, oh, Alex was one of those kids. That's interesting. Oh, the guy with the snakes was one of those kids. That's interesting. That's why they're talking about snakes and the mazes and everybody's talking about mazes. At first you're like, why is everybody talking about mazes? Shouldn't just this one character that draws them be talking about it? And then it's like, Oh wait, okay. The guy had the maze necklace. Interesting. And it's like, wow. Okay. So everything that they set up comes into play at the end. And it's like, that's how ideally I feel like every mystery should be, but it's probably ultimately too much to ask for, but it's just really cool. Like you said, kind of at the outset, there's really no red herrings, but somehow while you're watching it for the first time, they all seem like they
0: are. And that is the most satisfying thing about these types of thrillers and mysteries is is when all the pieces get connected and you finally have the whole story, like that moment in in these types of media is always so satisfying. And I feel like it's extremely satisfying in this movie, too, when you finally have all the pieces and you you can look at this complete case and, and really understand what happened to these girls and why they were kidnapped.
2: Mm hmm. So, I mean, I doubt the three of us would really argue that this isn't a good thriller. Let's talk about like what else t- makes this movie a good movie uh, as a whole. So, I mean, I'll start by saying that it's probably the character development and like the misdirection and then the overall suspense that just increases with more intensity as the movie goes on.
0: Yeah, I think in addition to the character development, like you said, Keith, and, and, the, and the suspense, I think also that the thing that really sets us over the top is, uh, the cinematography, the score, the script supports all the performances here. Every element that goes into making a movie is executed pretty flawlessly for the most part in this film. And I, I think in the wrong hands in in a different crew's hand, I don't know if this movie comes off the right tone. Like I don't know if this movie comes off as like praising vigilantism or, or something like that. I, yeah. I feel like this movie is just was put into the perfect hands and it doesn't come off that way. It comes off. As a really interesting uh, moral discussion, I would say, uh, by the time the credits roll.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's also cool and probably is taken for granted a little bit because, you know, there's so many stories out there and so many different mediums that it doesn't seem that crazy. But I really do think it is kind of different that in a story like this, we spend equal times with. Obviously, he's not the victim as in, like, Hugh Jackman wasn't kidnapped, but just for all all intents and purposes, we'll call him the victim of this crime, right? Like, we're spending equal times with him trying to figure out what happened. And it's not like a detective walks into the big gun and he's like, oh, figure it out. It's like, no, we spend just as much time with the detective also trying to figure it out. And they're doing completely different things, but you also see crossover between what they're kind of discovering and elements of their respective investigations, which is a word I'll use lightly for the Hugh Jackman story, obviously. But you know what I mean? It's like we get to spend equal times with two very different ways that you try and figure out the mystery. So it's like, I just don't think we get that a lot. And I thought that was really cool. I really like that element.
0: I think something that also gets really interesting by the end of this film is, Matt, you mentioned this when we were running through the movie facts. You said Terrence Howard and Viola Davis get their daughter back because they ultimately didn't participate as much in Alec Jones's torture. Whereas right. I would also argue that the only reason uh, Hugh Jackman finds his daughter is because he did torture Alex Jones and he knew where to go whenever their daughter pointed out you were there. Like, I don't know if you get that information and, and if he like if, if he doesn't do that, no one else is going back to the hunter's house. Nobody even would think to go look there because they wouldn't understand what she was talking about and and the daughter was on that LSD cocktail. So she probably wouldn't even be able to remember where she was or where she was taken.
1: Yeah. So this is, this is interesting because this is exactly what I was talking about at the top. I agree with you. The only element that I find a little bit strange, and I'm still trying to kind of figure it out in my head. And this was the only time I've ever noticed it while watching this movie. And it's like, yes, technically you're right. Like if he hadn't been there, then it doesn't really matter what the, Little girl says. But at the same time, they already set up really early in the movie, even before he tortured Alex. You know, he 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 attacked him outside whenever he was released and he met Holly Jones. He knows the guy's name, Alex Jones. And I'm not saying this movie should have not had him, you know, have that torture storyline or whatever. Like you can tell whatever story you want. But it's like ultimately that scene whenever he goes there for the first time He's kind of there genuinely. He's kind of there to figure out more about Alex and it's like his weird, because he is a very religious man, clearly. He's trying to find some penance, it seems. Um, He's not telling her that, but that's why he's there. You could have just had him do that after assaulting Alex. Again, I'm not saying that's how they should have made the movie. My point being, he knew where... He knew who this person was, and he could have gone there without torturing Alex. It's not like torturing Alex was like, go visit my aunt. You know what I mean? And so then whenever he sees the girl and she's like, you were there, it's like he knows where to go. That's my only issue with the movie. It's like ultimately his actions lead to nothing. It's just that the other girl saw him at the house, and then he goes there. But At the same time, though, it's that weird thing. I think Austin is right. The movie doesn't celebrate vigilantism, so almost – I guess in a positive that's on purpose, it's like, well, we're not rewarding him. Like He just got lucky and figured it out. So maybe that's the point. I don't know. So I'm still. that's something in my head I'm trying to kind of figure out how I feel about it. I think it's very interesting regardless, but that was kind of what I was talking about in our non-spoiler section.
0: Yeah, I guess the only other thing I would say to counter that is that the only reason he actually ends up going and having a conversation with Holly is because of what he's been doing to Alex, and he, he seeks to kind of better understand what he's doing. True. I because I would say if he just takes Loki's advice and just lets Loki handle the investigation without Hugh Jackman's involvement, I don't know if if the other girl gets found. It, it, I guess is what I'm trying to argue for.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I can see that.
2: Well, you know that's a good question because I, I guess I missed it. So, uh, Joy Terrence
1: Howard's uh, daughter, she gets found on, on the on the side of the highway, right? They both ran out at the same time and somehow. It's like Holly had the chance to grab one and she grabbed the Dover daughter and then the other one had a chance to keep running, like ran through the woods and then flash cut on a highway getting saved. That's basically what happened. How they escaped, I don't know, because it seemed like she had them on, on like this drugged up lockdown. So I'm not sure.
0: And also to add to that, Holly also does make a point how it was way easier when her husband was still around. Right. So I'm assuming with both of them running, if the husband is still there then they can grab, snatch up both the girls and, and take them back to their captivity.
1: Right. Makes yeah. sense.
2: Yeah, I think I've already mentioned it several times, but I'll mention it one more time. Yeah, this, this movie just had my heart racing throughout. I mean, I guess it's because my first time watching it, I had no idea what to expect. It being a rewatch for you guys, does it still stand strong in that regard of keeping you hooked and engaged? Or is it, has that kind of gone away now that you're rewatching it? Or uh, do you agree that it was that it was like that in your first viewing What's it still stand for you as far as like the suspense goes?
0: Yeah, kind of like I touched on at the top, the theater experience for this movie was just incredible. Um, it's, it's it's one of the few movies I can look back on and like actually remember what it felt like to be in the theaters for this film. Um, as for the rewatch question, Keith, I think this is a movie I've rewatched, I think three or four times now, but with really long breaks in between. So every time I've come back to this movie, it's always kept me engaged and, and kept my heart up and the mystery is so complicated in this movie that the reveals, I think, still work for me on rewatches. And, and I do find myself noticing smaller things throughout the movie, too, whenever I come back to it.
1: Yeah, um, I wouldn't even say it in a negative way, but I think it's a movie that when you rewatch and know its secrets,
0: yeah, it loses its
1: luster, I think, a little bit. And that's okay. I mean, I think most mysteries and thrillers are like that. That being said, you still have all these great performances that you can watch and appreciate. You still get to watch all the pieces of the puzzle come together, which is still cool. Um, And then I guess, like Austin said, there's little bits and pieces that you can appreciate on a rewatch specifically. Like, for example, Keith, if you ever go back and rewatch it, I think you'll find some scenes where it's like, oh, Holly Jones was the villain the whole time. Like there's little lines of dialogue she has talking about snakes and accidents and just children in general where it's like, oh, like it's
0: obviously her um even when she's signing alex out at the police station she's saying write your full name make sure you write your full name trying to get him to write that alex name that they give him instead of his um his real name from being an abductor yeah
1: so yeah that was really that was really interesting as well so yeah when you when you go back and watch it and know everything's gonna happen sure that's another maybe example of why the movie feels a little bit long for me it's like okay, you know, I'm rewatching this movie. It's two and a half hours. I already know how it ends. Does it still hold up? And the answer is yes, because of all the great stuff we've talked about. It's just, I, I guess the best thing I can say is I was surprised at how much I was still hooked this time because I knew it was going to happen, but watching it all come together is my favorite part about this movie.
0: Even too, Keith, whenever Alex has that first confrontation with uh, Keller and he says, they only cried when I left them, that line I think holds more meaning whenever you learn that Alex literally was just, he has—he really does have the IQ of a 10-year-old, and so he thought they just wanted to play on the RV, and then whenever they get left with his aunt is when they actually started crying and became scared because that's when they actually realized they were in danger. All these little things that seem like they're red herrings to throw you off the scent, it all comes back into the overall plot and mm-hmm. it makes sense, and some things hold more weight once you understand everything.
1: Also, another great example, maybe the best example, because we're going to talk about the ending here in a little bit, But and we'll get to it then. But watching Keller's like weird kind of drunken fueled dream where he sees his daughter and it's like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. This would be in a lot of these types of movies. Like he his daughter's missing, gets to see her. But the whole point of this quick scene is just dad, I found my whistle. And it's like, wow, why is he dreaming about that? Um, And then obviously it's pretty important why. So, yeah, that's another cool thing going back to it. Do you
2: guys think if it was if it had kind of a different setting, not being in in the dark Pennsylvania, rainy, cold atmosphere, if it would have been like a more of a sunny California atmosphere, but the same
1: exact events happen, if, if it would have had the same like uh gravity about it? That's a great question. Yeah, I think definitely not. I think they did a great job location scouting and picking these spots, even the ones that seem kind of random, like even just like intersections they pick, like looking on to like this kind of -of run-of-the-mill liquor store. It's like, wow, even, even this, it seems like they got it right. So I loved it. I loved like the natural lighting, the rain, the cold, like you talked about. It all just seemed like it added up to a really more messed up atmosphere. Like Once they get taken, the fact that you're in this kind of environment only makes it seem worse somehow, which was... Yeah, really effective.
0: Especially whenever Loki is rushing Anna to the hospital and the rain is turning to snow. That makes that scene so much more tense. Oh, man. And the blood going into his eye... That, that that scene had me going. <laughs>
1: Great scene. Great scene. I, I was
0: afraid
2: he's gonna hit some car and something even more terrible should have. happen. I mean he was literally <laughs> blind. Like I love the final <laughs> I love
1: the final cut where he's like like his vision is fully gone and then it's just whoosh and then they're in like the hospital. It's like, okay, thank God. But it it is one of those just like amazing, tense, like climax chase scenes. Like that was so cool.
2: Yeah, and that was another scene I'll shout out is the scene whenever they're all kind of mourning outside. Uh, Terrence Howard and uh, Viola Davis's house putting the candles out and then Bob Taylor's character comes up and does this little weird creepy stroke with the teddy bear and then Jake Gyllenhaal recognizes that he's this guy something's kind of
0: off about this guy and starts looking at him I love where that character leads to as well because when they're identifying the clothes and it seems like the girls are dead you're starting to feel like oh where is this heading this is going to be really unsatisfying if somehow this ends without like a, a good conclusion and then when you learn that he was just kind of practicing and he was buying clothes and, and the reason he had some of, the, some of the kids' clothes is because he went to their houses and stole it. Like like Matt was saying, the scenes where he's just kind of walking through uh, both of the family's homes, those seem pointless. And it's like, what are we doing here? This seems like a waste of time. And then it, it all ties back and feeds into the story. also
1: have to assume that that guy, to some degree or another, suffered from whatever accident quote-unquote alex suffered from that apparently involved snakes that left him as they said so apparently he was a normal kid and then he had some snake accident type deal that left him with the kind of stuck at that intellectual level of 10 um it seems like the same thing here also theory i wonder if there was maybe some snake venom element to what uh, holly jones injected young Dover daughter whose name I can, Judy? Junie? Junie B. John? What's her name? I can't remember. I thought it was Anna. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> I thought it was a J. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Injects her because I thought it was weird in that last scene with Detective Loki that she's wheeled in. And it's like, apparently it was her idea to come, but instead she just stares aimlessly and then very quietly says bye at the end. I was like, I wonder if she has suffered the same fate as these two other people.
2: Yeah, well, I was assuming that uh, uh, Alex Jones's character has been drugged pretty much the entire time. Like she's just constantly feeding him that that juice I or so. whatever yeah. for his entire life to some degree.
0: Nothing makes my skin crawl more than that snake scene. That just always oh. raises my makes my hair stand on edge, and it always makes me it's so. Uh, I'm always on edge when I watch that scene.
2: Dude, I was already like at hundred percent watching this uh, movie, and then when I hate snakes, and when the snakes came out. Of course they had to put snakes in this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? All right, guys, we've talked about our two guys here. We've talked about them a lot, but I want to get some highlights from you. So the movie, of course, is praised for its acting. Of course, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, take most of that praise. I think we equally shouted them out the most probably at the top of the show. And I just wanted to know if you guys had any more highlights from either of them. Any specific scenes that you thought especially good with these characters?
0: My standout scene from the two of them, for sure, uh, is always whenever Hugh Jackman confronts Jake Gyllenhaal in his car and he's saying, find my daughter, quit following me. Just the amount of emotion he elicits in that scene, especially Hugh Jackman, is just really standout for me. And and I think it's one of the scenes that kind of puts Jackman's performance kind of up there with, with the rest of the cast in this film.
2: It was crazy. I just liked how direct his character was too. He just comes up, why are you following me? I thought he was going to throw the bottle at the car or something like that. But he just comes up to the window and just asks him plainly, why are you following me? And then Jake Gyllenhaal says, get in. And they just had that cool conversation. Uh, Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, Yeah. Another scene I'll shout out is, or I guess two scenes really with Jake Gyllenhaal in the uh, police station uh, when he's interrogating Bob and then Bob, Bob ends up killing himself. That was pretty crazy. And then The next scene uh, with him would be whenever he's at his desk and he just he just know he knows he's losing this case, and it's kind of it's really taking its toll on him and he just starts pretty much almost crying and pretty much just throwing shit around, and then it then it kind of comes to him at the end there when he's looking through the pictures.
0: Yeah, I don't know why, but I love how messed up his hair gets in that scene. (laughs) There's something about that element really makes that scene for me. I mean, I honestly
1: it it was on purpose. I mean, his hair is so slicked back and in place like for the entire movie and then like that's one of the few scenes where it's just wild and crazy and i think that was probably done on purpose and it was really cool um another one i got a shout out and it's another jake Hall scene uh with bob taylor when he goes to his house just that smile on his face when he's the doors opened and he i'm not talking about bob taylor, i'm talking about jake Hall who's like yeah. doesn't smile at all in the movie and he's just smiling like he looks really friendly and like they're kind of talking And then the pen, you can just hear the pen drop whenever, like at the end of this kind of like semi-normal, a little bit awkward conversation, Jake Gyllenhaal just goes, so why'd you run, man? And then the (laughs) scene just plays out from there and watching him see the guy try and slam the door, him kick the door open, grab the back of his head, throw it into the wall and just throw him on the ground and then handcuff the guy. I was like, oh my God. It was like, what a great character
2: I was so scared that he was going to get out of those handcuffs somehow and go attack Jake all. I didn't
1: know what was going to happen but I hope that he had, <laughs> had it handled it looked like he did but <laughs> who knows
0: that seems scary too because he's alone on that property with mm-hmm. no backup it's just him there and he has no idea what he's walking into I know. I was like, please call for backup. What do you guys think about the reveal of ha- of Holly Jones and her husband kind of being this, this kidnapping nightmare for families throughout kind of their entire adult lives? Um, as, as we've kind of touched on, I love and I think we all love how all the mystery kind of ties together and, and every little thing is important in this movie. The only thing that I think it's a bit jumbled is just the backstory for Holly's character. Um, I I don't know if maybe we need just need more time to learn about what they've actually been doing throughout uh, their lives, but it just does seem a little bit rushed at the end for me. What did you guys think about that?
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree that it was a little bit rushed. It was kind of I was wondering. So what's the whole motive behind this whole thing? She said the wage of war against God, or whenever a uh, an adult loses its kid, it it turns into a demon like you, pointing at Hugh Jackman, some kind of like satanic
1: thing or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because um the religious aspect of the story is the really the only one that I don't like. I think in terms of the reveal and how the husband tied into it and how, oh, that corpse we saw earlier is the husband and he used to be partners with Holly and they like did this together. Like all of that and kind of Holly's backstory I found really interesting and, and pretty compelling and kind of in line with the story. The only aspect that's obviously the hardest one to nail is Okay, all well, that's great, but what's the motivation for actually doing this? And ultimately, it's like, well, I'm really religious and our son died of cancer, so we literally kidnapped sixteen people. And in a weird way, if there had been more characters like revealed to be like living in Holly's house, like maybe locked away, that like she was keeping alive as her quote unquote children. That would have made more sense. The idea that they were killing these kids. Oh, that would have been kids, so
0: creepy, too. I know,
1: but I think that would have worked better. The idea that they killed these kids, I feel like, is where it gets to your point, Austin, jumbled. It's like, well, your whole thing was like you abducted Alex to be your new son after yours died, so why are you killing the others? Like, how does that fall in line with your war on God? That doesn't really make too much sense to me. So that's really the only aspect of it that didn't really work for me.
0: I also would have liked to have understood how the mazes played into the story a little bit more. Because for Bob they clear they're clearly a huge deal and we kinda don't get much more beyond it. Just this was clearly something they did to him when he was kidnapped. I am wondering is it if the kids really did solve all the mazes, if they did get to live, and maybe Alex and Bobby did, and so that's why they're still alive and, and the other ones didn't. I, I'm still even after a bunch of rewatches, I'm I'm pretty confused on that aspect.
1: That's funny. cause I totally forgot about the whole like if you finish these, then maybe you can live. Because for me, when it came to Bob, I was almost like, oh, wow. At the end of the movie, I was like, the maze thing is just like his PTSD. It's like he all he can see is the necklace of this man that tortured him, kidnapped him, locked him away. And so like all he does is just draw mazes. And the aspect of these were mazes that there's no way you can solve. Like that's what they talked about with Jake Hall's character. It's like, I don't even understand yeah. the point of this maze. Like you can't even solve it. Like I like the aspect that he was just drawing with his PTSD, like his abductor's necklace over and over again. But you also bring up a good point. Like apparently there were other mazes involved that I forgot about.
0: I hadn't even really thought about that, Matt, until you bring it up. So if that's the reason, then I love that. But they do, I'm pretty sure the girls mentioned mazes too. That's what I,
1: I thought, I think they did.
0: Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just confused. But if it is just mazes for Bob's character, then that's super interesting and I like that. But if, it's, if mazes are a larger role in the plot, then that's where I thought that kind of got jumbled too as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I didn't catch any of, any of the maze stuff at all.
0: <laughs> I did. I did not my first time either. You guys just explained more than I knew. So just to kind of close out the roundtable, um, I do want to touch on the ending here. It is a bit ambiguous, and I just wanted to get your guys' take. Do you guys think Keller dies? Do you think Loki finds him? Uh, what's your What's your take here?
2: Man, I was so mad whenever they cut it. Before you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I I'm assuming that they found him. Based on
0: the and based on the trivia that I found, it pretty much says that they found him. Well, do you think do you think they find him alive? Like maybe they find his body because he is bleeding out, or do you, you do you think he's alive, now. or do you think he's dead?
2: I feel like, I think they would find find him alive because he's blowing the whistle, and it would go to his character because he's always prepared for every situation.
0: Yeah,
1: I think um I think the answer yes. I think they find him alive, and on this rewatch, I really appreciated that whenever he's Loki's standing there alone. And you can see the car covering the hole in the background. Like he's just standing there. And then you hear this whistle. And at first he just like, like looks the opposite direction and then it's like, whatever. And then he whistles again. And he looks towards the whistle, but then he does that thing you see in movies where after it, like the sound fades away, he just kind of goes like, huh, that was like, you can see, he doesn't say this, but on his face, it's like, huh, that was weird. Why am I hearing a whistle? And then I, it was so in character whenever he turns to walk away and then the third whistle happens and he just turns and he's like, detective mode like totally serious face and that's the last shot of the movie i don't think they would have put that face in there if like he wouldn't immediately follow the noise and like move the car and and save him and to austin's point also they could have had it be even more ambiguous they could have had it where maybe somehow he sees these tire tracks that's weird this car shouldn't be moving and then he finds the hole and then maybe right as he opens it it cuts to black But the fact that they had the whistle in there and they show Hugh Jackman like in the whole find his daughter's whistle is like – I feel like if we're hearing it, he must be blowing it. Does he survive his injuries after the fact? I don't know. But I'm guessing they made it ambiguous because – we already saw the climax of him <laughs> saving his daughter while having a fucking bullet <laughs> grazed his head and he's bleeding all over the place. He's going to crash and kill them both. Like that's the climax of the movie. Having him just open a door and like, hey, Keller, and like pull him out and they like hug. I found your daughter, brother. And he's like, I knew you'd do it, Loki. Like, I'm, I'm obviously, <laughs> I'm making a joke, but you know what I mean? Like that. We don't need that scene. I think this is one of those weird examples where it's like they made it ambiguous to be more interesting because ultimately I think they find him alive. So I think that's the answer. I, th- I think they set it up enough where that's what it seems like what happens. Do you feel differently, Austin?
0: No, I think they do find him for sure. Um, it is just one of those things where you don't see it happen. So it counts as kind of ambiguous yeah. and does re- does leave room for theories. Uh, last thing I wanted to pose to you guys is, do you think Keller, do you think that character deserves to die um, after his actions throughout this film? That's a bit of a tough uh, question.
2: I don't think he deserves to die. I think die is a little bit strong because he was thinking that Alex was a bad guy. Like, I think if if he knew Alex was an innocent kid that got kidnapped, I don't think he would have done all that. He was playing, he was doing what he did because he thought that he was guilty of kidnapping his daughters and doing terrible things to him and all that. So I think his motive for doing what he did was maybe not in the right, you know, you know, for the law, but I mean it was, it's very, yeah, it's very gray, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I think he, you know, whenever they had the hospital scene and she asked him, is he going to be going to jail? He says, probably. Yeah. I feel like that's an appropriate punishment. Maybe go to jail for kidnapping uh, another guy and, to- and torturing, torturing him. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, not death. I think death would be a little bit harsh.
1: I'm right with you. That's how I feel. Um, I think that's why they that even through that quick conversation between um, Detective Loki and then um, Maria Bello's character, it feels like... Um, They just wanted to set up something so that whenever you do see the ending and it's like you can think about, oh, if he survived, here's what would happen. It's like he has to go to jail. Like no matter what his thought process was, I mean, he kidnapped somebody and tortured them really brutally. So it's like he has to pay the price in that sense. And I also like the movie talks about penance a lot. And even Keller talks about it a lot. And he goes to Holly's in the first place for that reason. So it's like whenever he gets out and he survives, that's his penance. He has to go to jail for what he did but I am with Keith. I don't think he deserves to die for that, but he does need to pay the price in some form.
0: Yeah, I do like how the movie makes you sit with Keller and, and he is also de- deteriorating himself by his actions. Um, he even gets to the point where he can't even complete the portion about forgiveness of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's something I noticed on this rewatch that I hadn't noticed before. He is a religious man and his relationship with God is deteriorating too because of his actions. So I found that pretty interesting on a rewatch. I'm kind of with Matt though. I don't love all of the religious overtones in this movie but for the keller character i found more interesting this yeah. time around um and then yeah like you guys have said i think the only saving grace is he's just doing what he thinks he can do to find his daughter but he clearly is a man that's used to feeling powerful in his actions and he definitely doesn't like the fact that he's weak in this situation and he's doing whatever he can to assert himself over this individual um so on, on this rewatch for me i definitely noticed kind of how I guess, helpless Keller seems in this movie and and his immediate just um, move to resort to torture really just feels like this this man just grasping at whatever he can to make himself feel in control.
1: Doesn't take him very long to do it. I mean, basically, it's just Alex getting released and he kidnaps and tortures
0: him. I mean, that's all it took, so. Um, Okay, so that's our discussion on prisoners. I think we would all recommend checking this one out if you haven't seen it. Like I've said, this is one of my favorite thrillers of the past decade. And, uh, guys, before we get out of here today, we do, of course, need to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. If you're new this week, this is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award today?
2: Yeah, my award today will be the Best Oprah Winfrey Dodge Award. And that goes to Miss Viola <laughs> Davis for helping us dodge Miss Oprah Winfrey in this episode. No, movie. Melissa Leo. Melissa Leo. Huh?
1: The kill, The killer. Oprah Winfrey is going to be the killer.
0: The abductor.
1: Oprah Winfrey was going to play her?
0: That's what you told us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was going to be the big bad.
1: Okay. Well,
2: the best Oprah Winfrey Dodge Award goes to Melissa Leo for helping us dodge Miss Oprah Winfrey. I don't know if she could have played the character as well.
0: Would have been interesting to see Oprah in that role. Release the Winfrey cut. (laughs) Release the Winfrey cut. (laughs) My award today is the come on, give him some funding award. Guys- the marching band at this school is still wearing uniforms from when Keller and Franklin were still in high school. Give him some funding, get them some new high school uniforms from that throwaway conversation at Thanksgiving dinner.
1: All right, guys, so I have an award here, and it's kind of a tricky one to phrase, so I guess this might be a first, but I'm just going to simply call this one the Genuine Question Award. Are detectives really allowed to have hair like that? (laughs) Like, can you have hair that long as a detective? I always think about like going into restaurants in the bathroom and like seeing those signs, you know, that it's like gotta have your fingernails this short, gotta have your hair this short. I'm like, do
0: detectives have those? I guess not. But I've never seen a detective with hair like this. Can they wear Freemason rings to work too? What was that? Yeah, what was that? <laughs> what was
1: he wearing? He has like a huge like sundial tattoo on his neck. We need the detective Loki. Um, prequel series which i guess maybe we'll get on disney plus
2: (laughs) i did see that i did see that in the trivia that he was wearing a uh, freemason ring but then it
0: said nothing after that so i was like oh thanks for the backstory (laughs) on that yeah i saw it (laughs) all righty well congrats to our recipients this week and everybody thank you so much for listening uh if you've enjoyed this episode please make sure you follow us uh on your preferred podcasting app of choice Uh, We really do appreciate that. And that also helps you make sure you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow the show. At The Arnis is our social and the arnis.media is the website. We'll be back next week as we come back to Matt to close out this Our Favorite movie series. Matt, are you ready to reveal what we will be covering next week?
1: Yes, I am. So on this series, we've talked about now Cloud Atlas a science fiction film. We've talked about Hell or High Water, a Western slash drama, you know, kind of like a standard drama if you want to call it that. And now we've talked about Prisoners, which covers the mystery slash thriller side of the equation. So my friends, we have so many more genres to cover. And I'm happy to announce that we're about to get in to the action adventure side of things. And it's time to talk about the late 90s classic, the movie that never quits. The movie that, in my opinion, if you didn't have this movie, would you get stuff like Batman Begins or Casino Royale? I don't know. My friends, it is time to talk about The Mask of Zorro.
0: Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. You mentioned this last week to us. I thought you were joking, but you were serious. We're doing it for real. We're doing it. (laughs) My brother,
1: I mean, my amigo Antonio Banderas is coming oh, back. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's back. So beyond that, we have tons of other exciting content coming up soon. Of course, we have our ongoing bonus series where we cover each and every episode of Loki when they come out on Disney+. Plus. Those episodes release every Wednesday, which means we will be putting out our thoughts each and every Friday until that series closes out. So keep an eye out for that. Besides the closure of our favorite movies series round one... We also are bringing back The Brackets very, very soon, my friends. So keep an eye out for that. This time we'll be breaking down what is the best comedy of all time. Uh, yeah, check us out on
2: Instagram at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Like Matt mentioned, go back and watch Heller or High Water from my favorite movie. And yeah, look forward to The Mask of Zorro. And yeah, go watch Loki. We just covered the first two episodes and those will release every Friday. So I'm excited to get back into that next week.
0: All right, everybody. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya.